0: Welcome to the Everything ECE podcast. I'm your host, Carla Ward, and today I'm going to make your teaching life just a little bit easier. Okay, so maybe not me exactly, but my guest today will certainly make your teaching life easier. Joining me today on the podcast is Ron Grady, founder of Childology. He is a preschool educator, researcher, and author with a very impressive CV. Ron has written for many publications and has an incredible blog to support parents, caregivers, families, and teachers seeking to develop their practice with young children. Ron is here today to help us further understand and use documentation. Welcome to the show, Ron.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so (laughs) glad
0: that we were able to meet and talk about a topic that I know for myself personally, I avoided Big time, back in the day, until I figured <laughs> out, like, how to make my life easier, right?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. I feel like documentation is, is that thing, right? Like, I you, I feel like it's one of those polarizing early childhood things that you either love it or you hate it and dread it, and it's one of those things that you feel like you never have enough time for, right?
0: <laughs> 100%. And once you find that sweet spot, though, then you see the magic, right?
1: Totally, totally. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Ron, tell us about <laughs> your journey because, like I said, you've got an incredible oh, CV. So, tell oh. us about how you got to where you are today.
1: It's funny. Every time I, there's like two places to start. Like, I'll like give you like the brief medium version, if you will. When I turned like 18, my niece was born, and that was the first time I ever got to see like a child develop up close. Right. And so, that started my fascination with child development broadly. And then honestly, like my journey in like teaching and education began after the, my like first year of college. So that summer, I spent the summer helping a grad student run studies for her dissertation uh, at Bing Nursery School, which is Stanford's lab preschool. And their uh, practice, their dedication as an institution to the children, to the families, Uh, is just exceptional and really beautiful. And so it was one of those situations where I had no idea just how lucky I was to have been dropped into a place where children were taken so seriously and teaching was taken so seriously right away. And I always joke that as much as I loved helping to run the experiments with the children, which is a whole other thing, uh, I really love the moments where I was able to be in the classroom watching uh, children's lives unfold, watching them interact, create, play, and ever since then, it's one of those things where I knew I could spend every day like devoting my energy to. And that was, yeah, so that was like the start. And then, you know, as happens, I found a job teaching preschool and chatted out a couple of different schools. I, I had really great mentor teachers from the get-go, so I feel very fortunate for that. My first co-teacher, Karen, introduced me to a friend, Claire, who started a nature school, and then that really was like the point when I got so excited and. So I worked at the nature school for many years and then along the way got my master's and really loved and that sort of reignited, I guess, the academic bug within me. And then now, of course, going to get the PhD, <laughs> but have along the way just really been fortunate to have been surrounded by really dedicated educators who take children in their lives very seriously. And so that's sort of the long and short of my education early ed journey. Just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that. And that mentoring piece really is so important. It can really make or break your love for the, for our profession, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think having a a solid mentor is one of, I wouldn't be surprised at least I haven't done research on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the biggest predictors of the way that we end up navigating this field, right? I mean, someone who takes that, whether you're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, or whether you're just like a fresh teacher at whatever age, right. But shows them Really, what it can be like to work with children to help them, helps them to see both the joy uh, and also acknowledges the struggle and the difficulty. But above all, I think demonstrates like a a deep love for uh, children is just, I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing. And uh, I had a mentor, I guess, you know, I know we're talking about documentation broadly, but who was really intentional about helping me to see the way the documentation could be used in the classroom and sort of gave me the foundation and support to be able to try out new things, which really, I think, further extended the love that I had for the work that we do.
0: And it really does take a mentor because documentation is not something you can learn without someone giving you a guide, which is why we're talking about it today, because not everybody is as lucky to have that mentor.
1: Absolutely. I love I love what you say about that.
0: So let's talk about the nitty gritty. Why should we be documenting? Yeah,
1: yeah, this is a great question. So documentation, oh gosh, there's so many things. I think that you know we have to think about the fact that we are with these children every single day for many hours a day, and that we see the threads that are happening in their lives. We see the learning, we see the relationship, we see the way that play uh, is unfolding. Um, But documentation, I succinctly, and to borrow a term, Um, from like the Reggio tradition, right? Like makes learning visible uh, and makes the things that children are doing visible to others. It also makes it visible to us as teachers and educators, right? Like we take a moment to reflect on what's happening. We see new patterns. uh, And documentation also makes children's lives visible to children themselves as well, right? Like they get to see not only, oh yeah, like I did this cool thing or I had this great experience with my friends but they also get to see that we care about it. Right. So, you know, when you put even a picture of a child on the wall, all of a sudden they'll go over and say, Oh my gosh, it's me. It's me. Look, it's me. Right. Like from your two-year-old, True. you know, to your 5 year olds who will say like, Oh my gosh, I remember that day. That was really fun. That's the day we did X, Y, Z. Right. And so there, there's so many benefits. It sort of makes me think of like just the power of seeing yourself. And we talk so much about representation in early childhood. And I think documenting learning, documenting work, documenting experiences is also in the service of representation of your children as they are of your particular community, right? So I think there's so many different layers and threads that we could go down.
0: And I love that you're using the word threads. I've actually never thought about it in terms of threads. And while you're talking, I can literally picture all these strings of all the different strands that we do and different threads that we do and them unraveling. And I'm like, what a perfect word to use in our profession.
1: Totally. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I am reminded of like this time and there's one story, if it's okay, if I share that in mind, when I think about this, it's like, there were There's this group of girls who was really interested in drawing circles. And so it was sort of this thing that they started early in the year, just drawing circles on a sheet of paper, right? Drawing circles. We know that children love the motion of the drawing and that it feels very nice to be able to just, you know, to know and identify something, right? And I, we're talking four, four and a half year olds, just drawing circles on paper it became sort of an artistic style that they adopted, right? And then, okay, that happens for a few times and we note it. We send a picture home and then it just sits there. And then later on, these circles start to reappear, right? But they're reappearing in new ways. So the artwork goes from just being circles on a page to circles in a grid, right? And it's like, okay, that's really interesting. And then a little bit later, these circles in a grid are now transformed into like keys on on a keyboard, right? And then another piece of paper is added to this artistic composition, and this becomes a computer, right? And so, you know, I I think, at least what I'm trying to get at is that at each time we could look at uh, this thing and be impressed or intrigued by this child's work, but only through a sort of systematic recording of what's happening do we see the evolution of this, like, practice within this community of children here, right? And I think documentation has the potential to do that. Uh, on so many levels, right? Whether it's, again, those circles or whether it's uh, this child's use of language or a material or the way that this child relates to a friend or community as well, right? Um, it really helps us to be able to unpack, but also to appreciate the significance of those things that seem insignificant on the surface, right? Or at least mundane.
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And like, for me personally, I had what would be considered a very difficult class one year. I actually, they were not, they were like, <laughs> I don't want to say my favorite students, but they oh, like, they, <laughs> we bonded so much. And what's funny is how I landed up being their kindergarten teacher was their kindergarten teacher had left mm-hmm. and I was supervisor. And I was like, you can't put somebody else into that kindergarten class. I said, they, you need to understand play to connect yeah. with these children. So I actually stepped down as supervisor and went into their kindergarten program and it was my best year of teaching. But exactly that is documentation really, really helped me on those Mm -hmm. tough days because I was able to look back and be like, okay, we went from playing solo to Mm -hmm. now this collaboration. And yes, the collaboration doesn't always go well. But I was able to almost see in this sequential order, the social development of certain children. And I was like, okay, we're doing something right here. We need to keep going. And it really does help your mental state as an educator. Once you get that documentation down.
1: Totally, totally. You know, what you're saying, I so resonate with it. And it also reminds me of a couple of things, which I just made like a quick note of. It makes me think of documentation also as a form of like self-guided professional development for educators, right? Like it invites you to bring in, like you were saying, the ideas about what we know about the trajectories of play or about the trajectories of mark making or the trajectories of relationship, right? Like we bring those in and we say, oh, right, this is how this is happening because we're so busy during the regular flow of our days, right? And as we should be, we are busy and that's okay. It's, you know, we are Living relationships with children. We're supposed to be busy, but that also means that we don't always have time to reflect. So I I loved what you said about that. And then thinking about mental health, right, as educators and seeing the significance of our work that is sadly often undervalued and maybe underpaid. And because of the way that these things work, right, we can't always impact those systems right away, but we can find little oases of mental health. And I think documentation helps with that. And just to add one more thing, if I may, is about, I think it's also intellectually stimulating as well, right? And so there's that dual process happening there, right? And maybe that speaks back to PD, but I think it also has to do with mental health as well, right? Like we can feel just in a sea of Play-Doh or play or sand, right? And we're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had something, you know what I mean? Like I've at least had days where I'm on the playground and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm just so like, what am I doing, you know? And like, all I say that in all love. I think that's just an honest, honest feeling that people
0: have. 100%. It.
1: And so like having this thing, and if, especially when you are documenting again with a certain lens, right? Understanding like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder why this is happening. I think it invites us into an inquiry that uh, is stimulating as a professional development and also thereby like helps us to stay and engage their own work in a way that helps us feel good
0: absolutely and it's funny because documentation as a reflection and a mental health piece can also can also show you what you're doing not necessarily correctly I remember one of my biggest teaching mistakes was two little boys came up to me and they're like kind of barking at me because they're having a conflict and one of them goes She's not going to help us. She's going to tell us to figure it out for ourselves. And I was like, oh, my sweet goodness. I was like, hold on a second. I was like, I am here to help you. But the message they had received was she wants us to figure it out for ourselves. And while I do want them to problem solve independently, I had sent this message and I was like, oh, my goodness. So that reflection piece and documentation can be so eye-opening for yourself on what you as an educator need to do next to make sure you're helping the students, but also making sure that you are being the best version of yourself.
1: Well, so well said, so well said, you know, and it's in response that I'm thinking also of what what you're saying at least makes me think about what it means to take children seriously through documentation, right? And the way that through capturing all of the different elements. And I think something that we're sort of alluding to here is that there's so many different pieces of documentation as well, right? There's children's artifacts, there's what they do and play, there's what they say, there's how they say it, right? And it helps us enter into that like really reflective space where we are able to say, oh my goodness, like, like, what am I doing? How is this working? And we also build our store of examples as well, right? there's something that like documenting a moment seriously, like solidifies in us and we're able to draw on that again. And even if the situation that we encounter in the future isn't exactly the same, right? Like, you know, I don't know. There's, I feel like at this point I have so many things i documented now that like come to mind, but like, I, I'm thinking about just the ways that we bring them back into the present and how the things I remember most vividly are the things I've taken the time to document and that those are the things i draw upon in trying to be my best teacher my best self right and also in encountering children those those are the things that stick with me and constantly invite me to wonder what yes. is better yeah good yeah. yes
0: and we should always wonder like that's something that we should never outgrow and i think documentation keeps that alive and well for us as adults
1: Totally, totally, yeah. I love that. I feel like you said it so well. Yeah, just we we always need to be wondering. We always need to wonder, and you know, it's okay if our documentation brings us into further questioning, right? I think that alludes to the fact that we don't always have to be documenting to get to a thing, right? And I'm not saying that we should expend our energy on documenting everything. I know that that's not realistic, right? It may not be the most useful depending on your context and depending on the standards that your center may have to meet, depending on the curricula that you have. You know, I think that it's important to acknowledge those constraints and those requirements because as much as some people love to say like, oh, let's do nothing all day in play, like there's centers where that's not possible. And, you know, I love the idea of a fully emergent, you know, nature-based curriculum. And I also know that there are many places where for any variety of reasons, it's that that's not practicable, right? But I do think that what we're saying about this inquiring stance that documentation invites us into is applicable absolutely everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So now yeah. let's take a look at how do you document? What tools do you use? How do you document? Show us yeah. your way.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, great question. I think that my favorite tools. Okay. So this is going to sound, this will be really funny. So I think I have a few things. I love to do I, photography is huge for me. So I think that we have, you know, we have smartphones, which is really lovely. And I think uh, my favorite thing to tell children when they want to see uh, or, you know, are curious about my phone is I tell them that, you know, when I'm at school, this is used for me as just a camera. I'm like, it's just a camera. I just use this as a camera. So that way we're not, you know, because I know that some people feel or even have certain stipulations around whether or not they can have screens in the classroom, right? But photography is huge. But I think that what I was going to say is my favorite tool is honestly a blank sheet of white paper and my favorite pen. Like that is, for me, that's everything. I think it's a spot where, you know, I love to sit at a, you know, let's say I'm sitting at a table or on a tarp if I'm outside and there's a group of children engaged in, let's say, we're painting, right? And imagine painting with sticks and mud or with, you know, tempera paints, right? And I'll just sit and I'll write down what I notice. I start with my own noticings and use that pen and that paper. Uh, and then I'll just stick it up somewhere. And that's like my first piece of documentation, right? I mean, I think it can be that simple. You know, those tools are that that simple. I think if you want to, depending on your interest, you might add in photography. I think you have to consider whether or not you have access to printing, whether or not you have an app that you want to share with or how that works for your center. But those two tools I think are more than enough. I also really enjoy using instant cameras. So if that's something that you have access to, documenting with an instant camera is a really beautiful way to bring moments alive for children in a way that's both like it's tangible. They are limited in the number that they can do. So it invites a different level of intention to the experience that you're documenting. And it's something that is available for just like immediate reflection and can be put up right away if you're interested in sort of like what Sue Stacy refers to as kind of this rough documentation and our video cameras, I guess, are also good for that. And yeah, I think the, the, I feel like those are at least those are at least my basic tools Uh, that I use for it. I think anything that makes documentation easy, uh, accessible to children as well, um, and something that they can be involved in, right? Like, I I think when I'm documenting, uh, I I try not to use anything that is uh, particularly inaccessible or that I would feel particularly worried if something, right? Like, things happen in the field, so I'm not taking a very expensive piece of equipment out. Like, not every day, right? But I don't know. I Yeah, sorry to ramble, but I think just, like, Paper, pen, uh, and your favorite way to capture images. And I think my last point about the images is that I think, you know, visual images make things accessible to children, right? And it's part of the underlying goal of documentation, I think that children deserve to be the primary beneficiaries and audiences for documentation. And so I think that as educators, we have an obligation To incorporate visual methods in our documentation, whether that means I am, you know, yes, I'll write your words, but maybe I'll also do a little bit of a sketch over where you are in the room, right? And that way, if a child comes and looks, I can say, oh, yeah, I'm just drawing this. I remember this. And they can see, yes, they know, you know, all the wonderful associations that they'll make with literacy, but they'll see, oh, right, there's the image. That's me. That's another friend. And that's the table. Or if I have a photo, they'll say, oh, yeah, look, that's me right there. They, they, I feel like that's part of their right, right?
0: That's yeah. a good point. And I think something that definitely many people just because we some people don't know better, right? Again, it's part of our journey, is we put documentation on that big bulletin board outside our classroom. That's at the grown up's height, right? Yeah. So yeah. to your yeah. point, how do we bring that to the child's level, to the child's access? So I think that's such a great point.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you. I I appreciate that. And I I, I will add then, you know, because that made me remember one of like my ultra favorite things to do too, is to have like, if you're thinking about displaying your documentation, right? Bulletin boards, again, great for certain audiences, right? Like maybe for your parents, you do want that there. That's where you put your documentation with a bunch of words, right? That's where you put the connections to your standards, right? Those are the things that adults want to see and that are part of our obligations as educators to speak to my favorite thing to do is to have like a push pin in the wall or maybe a nail or something at, at a low height, depending on the, the, you know, your center requirements and your age group to get one of those clipboards that has a little bit of a thing. And, you know, any notes I jot, a picture that I take or a sketch I drew and then put that thing on the clipboard and instantly you've got a piece of documentation on the wall. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's right there. It shows kiss and it's yeah, it's easy. Easy peasy. I,
0: it. I was clearly overcomplicating mine because <laughs> I would have the full bulletin board out for the adults. And then, and I will say, I loved this and the kids loved it was I would write each child a letter on their documentation. Oh. So then they would read that I would read and eventually they'd memorize their letter so, like, dear Carla, I noticed that you were out in the sandbox today, and noticed that you were using your counting skills, and that's how I would do the documentation to them. And we kept it in a binder in our book nook, and it was beautiful. But dang, a clipboard would have saved me a lot of time. <laughs> oh I love it.
1: I, I do. I think that I think that's such an important point, though, Carla. Right? Like, you can take your things and then transfer them too, right? Because documentation is dynamic. And I think that might help too, right? Like, you know, I know this is maybe pinballing around, but I think when we think about, you know, whether you're a person who has to do summative assessments of children in certain contexts, right? Gathering this documentation and then taking it from the wall into a binder is a very like streamlined and natural feeling way to gather learnings over the course of a long time. You know, and you can also, like you're saying, put it in your book nook And now it becomes something that you can reflect on with your children. It's sort of a one-stop shop, if you will, right? Like from like us at the paint table to on the wall to in the binder to at the end of the year, this is what we have, right?
0: Oh, I love it. And again, it creates that sense of belonging, that representation within the classroom, not just on the wall. So it's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So. So when you do your documentation, like, do you have a list? Like, how do you make sure that you do document every child in your program?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I tend to reflect periodically. I think what I want to say about this first is that I think it involves, or doing that effectively involves recognizing a few things about yourself first, right? I think we always start with our self-reflection. So I have to think about what do I like to document? What am I drawn to documenting? Because that is going to determine where I am in the room. Like I love the block area, right? So I'm always wanting to be at the blocks, right? Me and so I like, oh, okay. I know I have a right? like, you know, they're great. And I have this propensity to end up documenting. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, I will look back after a week and be like, oh, I've spent so much time in blocks this week. And I have like these three kids who really also love blocks, right? I think we also have to be aware of, and I say, I want to say this sensitively, but also honestly and frankly, about the, the the children that we develop relationships with. And I think we relate to all children in our classroom. And I think that it's no secret, and we all know this, Like, but every child relates to every teacher and educator differently. And we have those children who we have special relationships with in our classroom. And often, right, those children might be the ones that you're with a little more often. And if for every teacher, it's different. And I always say, side note, every child deserves, I hope, at some point in their trajectory of education to be some teacher's favorite. Everyone needs that feeling. And I hope that for every child, right? But there are also children who do appear more in your documentation. And then another thing is, what are you, what's your preferred method? Are you someone who likes words? Are you someone who's really drawn to pictures? Are you, because that's going to influence who you capture too. Like if I focus on transcribing conversations, I'm going to get that five-year-old who's really talkative. I'm thinking of a five-year-old I had, right? Love to say lots of things, great quotes always appeared there, but I'm going to miss out on this three-year-old who's doing these really cool things. And so I think you have to just be aware of all of those different things and how they influence you. And then so practically speaking though, what that boils down to is I actually tend to check probably like once a week. I just will go through the photos. And as I'm reflecting, and I keep like a journal, it's gone back and forth between being hard copy and virtual. And I'll reflect on who do I have? Whose voices do I have? Uh, Who am I missing? Right. This is often, I will admit, I've had years where this is something that comes up around conferences, especially. And so I'd encourage educators, if you are meeting regularly or have planned meetings with families, to schedule a time where you look over your documentation, where you look over your photos and your writings and say, who do I have and who do I don't have and don't be afraid you know but we have to acknowledge that and what also I think that does open up regardless of any of the other things that we've said it opens up possibility for us to engage more deeply with children whose journeys we haven't documented and to fall in love with those children right because yes. again right like yeah we have the the places and the children that we're drawn to and that are drawn to us but also uh, like we are in this field because of our unique ability To see, and I know this word is not super widely used, but to love the children in our classrooms and in our care. And so I think that, like, we recognize that it's possible to love and connect with all of them. And so spend some time, whether it is, you know, a little checklist behind uh, a cabinet door when you look through your blog at the end of the week and say, oh, great, I have a picture of this child, this child, this child, this child. You know, you can do that with pictures, you can have words, and you can have a story. And maybe your goal isn't even to have one of each for every week, but maybe, for example, you want to make sure that you have, you know, okay, I have a picture of these two children this week. I have words from these two other children. I have stories about these other children. And maybe that's enough, right? You don't always have to have one picture of every child doing everything. One quote from one child doing everything. We need to give ourselves room to be intentional, but also flexible and honest about the realities of what it means to be living life in an early childhood space. Right. So I hope that was helpful.
0: (laughs) Yes. And it it really, it keeps coming back to that reflection piece, right? Us checking in with ourselves. So hundred percent I worked with, I had a very chatty kindergarten class and to a point where they would just be like, can you take a picture? Can you document this? And so my chatty students, you'd have like 30 pictures at the end of the week and my quieter students, we'd have three. And it really did have to become a, I don't want to say a chore, like it had to be an intentional task of, yeah. okay, make sure that I got my quieter students because they're not going to come and tell me, Hey, I did mm-hmm. something awesome. And they still deserve that recognition for whatever awesomeness they created.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Feel like you are touching on the need for us to like seek out equity in a way, right? And I know that often when we speak about equity and inclusion, we use a lens of we're just speaking about like whether it's like race and socioeconomic status and things like that, which of course are really important. But I also think on a smaller, I guess, and I also think on a smaller level, or on maybe a different level in the early childhood classroom, this looks like including, like you're saying, all voices, right? And again, when we can think about it, we are obligated as educators, right? Like we choose this career, we choose this field lightly, or we don't choose it lightly rather, right? And so we're obligated to like do that. And we, it's incumbent upon us to say, okay, I've missed this child. Oh no, let's go ahead. Let's pursue this, right? And so I really appreciate that. I, You know, I shared that story as well. I had a a very chatty, like four-year-old turned five and their words were, Every, everywhere in all of the documentation, uh, they were really confident. They were that, you know, that classroom leader, right? I like to do the drawings. If we'd, we'd have a, at the nature school, we used a floor book, which is like a collaborative piece of documentation that our whole class would participate in, making marks. And we'd write down words and stories in and put pictures in, which is awesome. But part of our work was also making sure that one child didn't dominate the floor book stories or the floor book quotations, right? that that was that constant, that constant navigation. So it's, it's a process.
0: It's yeah. And it's a balance, right? Because you don't want to silence the child that's more dominating and chatty, but you want to make sure that you're quieter, make sure that they have space and feel confident to share their voice. So definitely balance 100%. (laughs) This is awesome. So then how do you, Organize like how do you make it so that you don't land up with like 500 photos at the end of the week
1: yeah you know I think that and I know this will be different for everyone so I'll, I can share from my own experience I think that going back to what we said earlier about the way the documentation invites us into sort of this inquiry and a sort of this intellectually stimulating process I think I got to a point in my practice where I knew you know, I think eventually you'll get to a point, right, where you realize, okay, I will be able to have something with all children in it, right? And then at that point, I'd actually start off often, like, whether it was a week or a day, or when we're visiting a space with a particular inquiry. And so I'd often group by that, right? So I'd have a question in mind. Uh, Let's say, you know, maybe it's I'll go back to blocks because I just love blocks, but like, how are the children understanding balance or what are the children's goals for their actions and blocks this week, right? All right. So then that's kind of what I'd focus on. And so when I'm organizing my documentation, they, I, I'd often sort the pictures into little folders. So that at the end of that day, I'd put it all in a little folder that's blocks. And that would be what I'd have, right? And then when I would go back, I'd know where to look for these photographs where to look for these words, where to look for these narratives. I find whether it's Apple's Notes, I know lots of us have iPhones or whatever, you know, operating system you use, right? But have the Notes app, put a little hashtag on it, and you can go back and find what you need, organizing it. And then I guess, you know, that's for virtual documentation. And then if you're someone who prints out their documentation, I I do think a binder tried and true. Also, you might scan it if you're a person who does tactile documentation and scan it up to the cloud, depending on your level of tech savviness, right? And what this reminds me of also just to make another note is that, like I say this with the awareness that it's okay to change as well. And it's okay to that something that worked for you a year ago might not work for you today when it comes to organizing your documentation. So there have been times when I've leaned heavily into Notes. There have been times when I've made a lot of albums. There have been times that I've made just like notes on paper to remind myself, okay, Ron, your pictures are here or your pictures are within this date. I think a Google drive sheet could be really helpful as well. And also this, just this awareness, right? And I think I'm tiptoeing around it, but that you can't capture it all, right? And I think that very often we face these organizational issues because we're trying to capture so much. And Agreed. so I'm sorry, i sorry, I found my own thread, I guess. Sorry, I, I my, my friends and my colleagues know me and my co-teachers are so patient because I talk myself into the circle. So I apologize in advance, but- um, But I
0: think we could see the process. And I think that like, I could so relate to everything that you were saying because I've tried everything that you've just listed. I've tried it all. I've tried the drive. I've tried, you know, the online. I've tried the Google Docs. And for me- a drive and an app. Like I liked Seesaw back in the day. Those seem to work for me, but that's not going to work for everybody.
1: Right. Right. And it may not work for you some years, right? Depending on the class you have, depending also on your own life constraints, right? Like we have to remember too, that very often, like we have like, Things in our life, you know, whether you're pursuing other things, whether you have a family, whether you also just have a hard boundary between the time you work and the time you stop, which most of us don't, but you know, but I, right, like, yeah, we can try all the things that's okay. And I think giving ourselves the grace to let our needs be different at different times is really key. So, you know, I I think if there's one thing I could close on that has been like, or at least like this section on about like what has worked for me most consistently. Is is the album on my phone, and I say that because I think there are those moments, like I was saying, those big inquiries that really ground my deep documentation. And I think there's the more basic documentation that sort of appears every day. Uh, does that make sense? Of like, yes. you know, I send some pictures home to parents during the week, and that's fine. And then there are these bigger blocks of chunks of things that I'm wondering about. To go back to your earlier thing. And those are the things I gather more systematically and devote more energy to organizing. I think everything doesn't, we don't have to give the same amount of energy to every subset of our documentation practice, right? And that's That's going to.
0: And we don't have it. We don't have the, we will burn out if we're not already there. If we try Mm -hmm. to give that same level of energy to everything.
1: Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Like we, you know, we can't. Like every day is full of a million awesome moments and we can recognize that. And at the same time, we can't capture all those million moments. And there's some days that it's okay to just live those moments, you know, like, and that's another thing, like some days I would, I also practice like not documenting, like, right. Cause we can, we have to get comfortable with just holding space for the lived experience. Uh, it's very tempting with the devices that we have, with the culture that we live in, where everything is documented, to just think we should be doing it all the time. And I definitely, I mean, I can't tell you how many thousands of pictures I've been to years with, right? Like literally thousands of pictures, but yeah. I'm sure I'm not alone. And so give yourself the freedom to step away for a moment when you're feeling overwhelmed and to say, this week, I'm actually just going to listen. This week, I'm going to just observe and not mark. And not make a, you know, not take a note down, not do that. Like we can, we know, we're evolving practitioners and it's okay for us to experiment with leaning into different elements of this practice. It's complex. So,
0: oh, I love it so much. And where can people see your documentation? Because um, I've seen some of your beautiful documentation. So where oh can people God. see samples of it?
1: Yes, thank you. Well, you can go to my Instagram uh, at childology.co on Instagram. Uh, My website is also childology.co. That's where I kind of keep a lot of my documentation, my reflections, the different pieces. I also, of course, have writing in various publications. So some articles in Exchange Magazine, uh, a couple of pieces in NACI. Uh, and an article on maps in a journal on early environmental ed. And I will actually say that I probably, I think it's in 2024, uh, I have a book coming out with Redleaf Press that's called capturing the, or honoring the moment in young children's lives uh, on observation, documentation, and reflection. So that'll be out and you'll be able to see a lot more of my thinking, a little bit more coherently collected, too, on documentation. And I get into a little bit of what it, you know, what documentation is about, why we do it, and what it could look like to take some different lenses to this practice. So those are some spots as well.
0: That is yeah. so exciting. But this is not your first book, though.
1: Oh, yes, that's it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So, yeah, that book, yeah, the Red Leaf Press book is for teachers. And I also have a children's book. Out recently with Penguin Random House and it's called What Does Brown Mean to You. It was really an honor to get to write and illustrate the book, um, and to share it with the world. So you can also check that out at Childology, or you can go to Penguin's website as well to get a copy if you're interested. Yeah, it's such a joy to get to contribute to the conversation on early childhood in all these ways. So and of course, you know, a joy to get to chat with you finally. (laughs) Like yes.
0: we it so long. <laughs> oh my gosh and you are just such a beautiful human being I feel so honored to have had you on the podcast and connect with you because what you're doing in early childhood is just incredible and I'm so honored to have met you today
1: nice. thank you for having me it's it's a pleasure I hope that we get to talk again soon I, I feel like this shouldn't be our last conversation so
0: thousand <laughs> percent thank you so much